0: Hey, I'm Jesse. We're in Nehemiah 13, verse 23. In those days, I also saw Jews who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. All right, pause right there. These nations of Ammon, the Ammonites and the Moabites, Uh, if you remember back to Lot and his daughters, that's where these nations came from. Lot's daughters were convinced that They needed to sleep with their own father in order to er, ever, you know, have families. And so that's where these people come from. It was the Moabite women whom Balaam, the prophet for hire, uh, said, look, if you just send these Moabite women uh, in front of the Israelite men, the Israelite men will compromise their purity and that's where they'll lose their anointing and that's how you'll defeat them. And so these women from, uh, women from Ammon and Moab had had a history ancestrally with Israel, uh, as Lot was Abraham's nephew. Here's verse 23. In those days also saw Jews who had married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. It was not about marrying a woman from another country. The issue here is that they would bring along with these women, along with these new wives and their new daughter-in-law, their pagan practices. Now that does not jive well. Okay. It's one thing to have, it's one thing to have like, uh, a uh, cultural Christmas where you've got one tradition where like we roast a pig Cuban style. Oh yeah, well, uh, we do barbecue uh, pork ribs. Well, hey man, do both of those together to the glory of God. It's a very New Testament uh, and, and accurate Christmas celebration you've got to the glory of God. But it's not like we're gonna observe Christmas, we're gonna pray to Jesus and maybe we're also gonna pray to Dagon later. <laughs> Hang on, no, that's not Christmas anymore. That's Dagon worship. Uh, so that, that's the issue here. That's the issue. It's not, it's not as though they are discriminating against these women from Moab and Ammon because of their history and their descent from Lot. It's because this often entailed pagan practices. In fact, Solomon, the wisest man ever, as, as Nehemiah is gonna go on to describe, would compromise in that exact same way. He went from being the wisest man ever to the dumbest man ever, because not only would he marry these women, but he would also set up temples for them. It's like, hey, while we're building the Redemption Church, why don't we also build a crazy devil temple, too? Like, you would not be happy with that use of your funds. That's, that's kind of what's going on here. So, half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples, but could not speak Hebrew. I rebuked them, cursed them, beat some of their men, and pulled out their hair. I forced them to take an oath before God and said, you must not give your daughters in marriage to their sons or take their daughters as wives for your sons or yourselves. Did King Solomon of Israel sin in matters like this? There was not a king like him among many nations. He was loved by his God and God made him king over all Israel, yet foreign women drew him into sin. Why then should we hear about you doing all this terrible evil and acting unfaithfully against our God by marrying foreign women? even one of the sons of Jehoiada, son of the high priest Eliashib. Eliashib is the same guy who let Tobiah saboteur supreme of the whole construction project. You know what? Why don't you just move into the temple itself? Sure, that's where the provisions are kept for the whole staff that runs worship, but you know what? They can go out and work for themselves. You just live here now, even though you were actively trying to make this, this whole construction project not happen. It's because Eliashib, it turns out, actually had a family connection. Well, guess what? He's got another one. He had become, a son-in-law to Sambalat the Horonite. So Eliashib gets kicked out. So I drove him away from me. As we've seen the last two days, there's this theme where Nehemiah, in his way, would address an issue and then say, God, remember this. Address an issue and say, God, please remember this. Now, in his way, Nehemiah has addressed something and then verse 29, here's the prayer. Remember them, my God, for defiling the priesthood as well as the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Now in this one, it's been remember me, remember me, and now it's remember them. He said the same thing in chapter six. I think there's something actually healthier about saying, God, I'm just trusting you to remember this. I I don't I don't know if if Nehemiah genuinely wonders like is God going to forget about this? Is it going to slip off his to do list? Is it going to fall off of his Google calendar and it's going to slip by and he's he's not going to remember to take care of this. I think that he's proclaiming like, God, I'm just trusting you to handle all of this. They defiled the priesthood as well as the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Again, he did not verify according to the scriptural record that these women were in fact defiling the worship of Israel. It is totally possible to be a Moabite, a Moabite woman who marries an Israelite man and then takes on the full worship of Yahweh I know that for a biblical fact, because that is the whole story of Ruth. So these Ammonite women, these Ashdodite women, these Moabitesses, what is missing from Nehemiah's survey is whether or not they love the Lord. Now I get it, I get it. If you're gonna marry a woman who worships Asherah, okay, you're you're gonna marry a woman who worships Chemosh and Molech, yeah, that's a concern because there might just come a day where she decides to sacrifice one of your Hebrew descended children to Chemosh in fire. That's a problem. That's not a that's not a form of worship that jives well with God. In fact, that's actually the very inspiration for the the, the fire of hell itself. That's literally where we get that from. So I can get that, but what's missing in in, Nehemiah, in in the text here is whether or not Nehemiah actually addressed in some sort of shibboleth, if you will, this this just. Just ask them if they love Yahweh. <laughs> like, do you still worship Timosh or do you worship Yahweh? Uh, there, there's, a, there's an adherence here to an insular focus. The same thing we saw in Jonah, we see in Nehemiah. Whereas Jonah at least did what God told him to do and gave the message about God's coming wrath. Nehemiah doesn't seem to give any kind of message. He just kicks them out completely. He's trying to adhere to Deuteronomy 23, like we see in Isaiah 56, and as we see in the story of Ruth, these were not hard, fast rules. And what mattered more than their ethnicity was whether or not they served the Lord. There's no such litmus test to even ask if they serve the Lord. Uh, So the forced divorce edicts of Ezra and then what Nehemiah does here is questionable as to whether or not it was of God. I think it's pharisaical and over the line because I think that if these women love Jesus or sorry, if they serve Yahweh, they didn't know the name of Jesus yet. If they serve Yahweh, bring them in and let them let them intermarry. He's right to kick Eliashib out, though, because Eliashib is the guy who straight up compromised the integrity of the temple itself. We're only a couple of verses away from the ending of the book of Nehemiah. So if you're going verse for verse, let us know at jessekembellministries.com. I'll see you tomorrow for the final verse of Nehemiah.